Weekday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero, joined by JP Ong. Before the lunch break, uh, the markets pretty much were down across the region. Uh-huh. You can say that again. Are they still? That is that is the color. It seems like we took one step forward. At least the broader markets on Monday. We we know Singapore or the SGI or the STI closed in the red yesterday, but mm-hmm. most of Asia Pacific took a step forward. Today they're all taking a step back, including Tantaran, ourselves as well. We're in the red, down by about six points. The local story is a slow but steady erosion. And remember when I said that we were up by about six percent year to date? Mm. Well, it seems that my math was just a little bit off. The losses that we've seen, and this is, again, how slow and steady this erosion has been. Right. Because if you asked me two weeks ago, like, yeah, we're actually in pretty decent territory. Well, the STI is now just up 3186 over 3068. That's about 25 3% up now, year to date. So we've actually seen that whittle and away very And we didn't notice it happening. It was... uh, well, at least I didn't. Maybe I just need, uh, maybe this is, <clears throat> maybe I really need to go in and be checked for ADHD. But uh, the STI index, at least, has uh, actually uh, slipped considerably over the course of these last two and a half weeks. And, uh, and after that, very solid November, at least the first half of November. Yeah, we've seen we've seen that confidence start to eat in. We are just now about 107 points away from wiping out intraday gain. So there's still a bit of room, but nevertheless, it's that, that slow and steady erosion. It, it, it creeps on you like global warming, I guess. Anyway, when you look across the major Smarty indices... Pants. <laughs> it's true, though, it does. I mean, you're like, oh, it's, we're half a degree warmer now, right? <laughs> anyway, before I, before I digress... Um, the picture is red. Nikkei 225 has given back some of those gains. They're down by about 178 points. The yen has strengthened again on a, on a renewed favoring. Now, I would say a flight, but a favoring of safe havens today. The ASX 200 in Australia. Take a look at that. The ASX 200 down by about 2.2%. So this today, the Australian stocks down under the biggest losers. Shanghai and Shenzhen relatively flat. The Hang Seng down by about 80 points so far today. Um, there are, I think some of the big concerns now are whether are regarding U.S. and U.S.-China geopolitical relations. So Hasn't we were, that been the question every Yeah, but, day? Uh, but there are new updates because we have been scratching our heads since Friday about, well, how might China actually retaliate against that recent signing mm-hmm. of the U.S. Uh, of the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act? Well, China apparently is now hinting at a possible blacklist of U.S. diplomats who are going to Xinjiang. This according to the Communist Party-backed tabloid, The Global Times. They have said that the, that this is also because there is another bill being passed through U.S. Congress's grading steam. And this is to require measures against Chinese officials involved in the alleged abuses of Uyghur Muslims out in the Xinjiang region. This has been a story that's really captured uh, the attention, at least, of U.S. politicians. Um, China, of course, has denied this. They've said you'd stop meddling in our affairs. But people are getting more concerned that perhaps these stories of, uh, of Uyghur minorities being put in these, human, in these concentration camps, uh, for lack of a better term, or re-education centers in Xinjiang might actually constitute a human rights violation. So, right. But this is yet, again, it just shows that there are so many things that can that can threaten this th- this fragile inching towards a phase one interim trade deal, which is what's going to be important for markets, at least, and the and global economies. Can we get to this phase one trade deal, cool tensions down, at least economic tensions between the world's two largest economies? Throw another wrench into it, I guess. Because uh, I mean, my thing might... is, I'm sitting on the sidelines, right? I'm looking at these updates and what have you, and I'm going, do you or do you not want a deal? I think I think they both kind of do. It takes one little political jab to perhaps ruffle feathers. And perhaps, you know, like when you're about to shake hands and someone goes, and by the way, I'm, I'm sanctioning you for this. It's not exactly conducive to handshake, right? Or another side goes, oh, by the way, we think you're interfering. 
it's not, it's the kind of chatter you don't want when you're trying to sign an interim trade deal to put to rest or try to at least uh, cool down one particular flashpoint, which happens to be this trade war and these tariffs. Mind you also, overnight, uh, U.S. President Donald Trump and the Trump administration has hinted at more tariffs this time against Europe. So the WTO has shot down Airbus's claims that they have stopped providing subsidies to benefit their, their production in Europe. They've said, no, it's actually still, it was still ongoing. You're going to have to pay the piper. And the U.S. has jumped on that and said, um, oh, so that means we could probably raise tariffs again on these guys because it's, it's proven that you haven't really pulled back those subsidies. Keep in mind, President Trump is also in London right now for the NATO summit. So it might be very interesting to see how he might face Emmanuel Macron if he's there. They've also floated the possibility of raising 100% tariffs on French champagne, wine, cheese because of the digital tax that, uh, French, that uh, the French government might levy against some of these U.S. tech companies such as Google, Apple, Microsoft, mm-hmm. Amazon. The list goes on. So things are a little bit more clouded today. And uh, the SGX saying, guys, I told you so. <laughs> we should be pulling back a, li- a little bit. And that's what's happening. We're seeing mild pullbacks, at least across the region, including our very own STI, which is down by about, uh, oh, wow, it's uh, deepened. We're now down by 10 and a half points. To what? To 3,177. Okay, so we're shying away from 3,200 today, oh, at, this uh, since is, yesterday. This is, a, this is a more pronounced pull away. I think we have uh, breached or broken through that uh, support level of 3,200 that we've outlined. This is a, this is a pretty confident uh, breach of that. I mean, things could still turn around by the end of the week. But if you're asking me, have we, have, has, has the support broken? I think there's an argument to be made, yes. All right. All right. You know, we've been talking in the last few days about whether or not it's going to be a bleak Christmas and or it's going to be a happy Christmas. Well, for, for the employees of Sasa, at least for Singapore and Malaysia, it's probably not going to be a very Merry Christmas. Well, definitely for Singapore, because Sasa, as we know, has been very much hit by the Hong Kong protests. They're one of those uh, companies that's often cited when people cover Hong Kong markets as to, well, how's Sasa doing right now in the market? So what's the impact on their retail? We got those retail sales numbers from Hong Kong just the other day where they said October they saw a 42% decline, mm. or a, a bigger than expected decline in retail sales. Sasa, as we know, a retail outfit. So when things are down, you will have to tighten your belt. What I find interesting is that Sasa is deciding to shut down all of its international shops here in Singapore. That's 22 stores, which could affect about 170 workers. Now, they have said they are going to comply with some of these uh, employment labor laws, such as for, for severance pay, for most of these, uh, when they will be fully compensated according to Singapore's employment regulations. But uh, it's not been a very pretty 2019 for Sasa. In fact, in the six mu- in, from April to September, their operations in Singapore alone saw only a turnover of about 17.3 million Singapore dollars. That's a decline of 4.6% from last year. And they've continued to find it difficult to manage the business here in Singapore. They've actually said in the statement that they've taken measures to restructure the local management team, enhance store display, product mix, and regrettably, the results were far from satisfactory. What I find interesting about this move, though, is you've got these big uncertainties and flashpoints in your home market in Hong Kong. And to address some of the hemorrhaging or some of the problems you have in your company, you're going to shut down your market here in Singapore. But when you look at the numbers also, they haven't really been doing that well in Singapore either. So this could just be a forced uh, belt tightening on the part of Sasa at the moment. It's actually interesting. I mean, I'll... I, I said it to you before the microphone came on. I've never actually been to an outlet. I've never. I, neither have I. But uh, I yeah, might have a little not, bit more of a reason. I really have no incentive to go. So. Yeah, I have. <laughs> I, I might have a little bit more of a reason than you, but I've never been. Mm. And I'm wondering whether that's indicative of a trend because I actually buy most of my cosmetic products 
online. Ah, well, that's all that you know. That's a very that you might be onto something actually because uh, we've also noticed, especially from those Black Friday numbers, mm-hmm. right in the U.S. That many many consumers, at least in the U.S., and I'm sure this is reflective of many other markets, is that the shift towards online shopping has been has been steadily on the rise, right? And I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the same here in Singapore. And perhaps that's also just just uh, compounding Sasa's uh, decision that you know maybe things aren't working out here. Maybe maintaining all these brick and mortar operations isn't isn't strong. And again, I can't speak to this because I'm uh, I'm not. I, I can't not... remember the last time I saw you in Mascara. That was last year when I was in TV in Manila. <laughs> <laughs> but not by my choice. <laughs> anyway, that wasn't that. that anyway, um, now I, that was t- an t- interesting t- digression. But, but tell, but tell me this, and mm. let me ask you a question: How competitive is this market? Which one? The online market? Well, the cosmetics market. I think the cosmetics market is very, very competitive. Um, the thing is, if you're talking about the high-end brands who come up with all the new innovations, you will pay the big bucks to get the latest, newest cream m- magic elixir. But if you so product development, it, and there the, are some the, the brands that will, for yeah, product development. Product development, absolutely. But also, there are some brands that hold their name recognition very, very well. Now, if you're looking for the everyday powders and maybe just a generic sunscreen, etc., you're looking at price. Hmm. I mean, you really don't absolutely. care what brand it is. And how how many competitors? How competitive is this? Are, are there other places you can go to that you, where you just might go, well, why would I go to Sasa? I just go to another place. And it's very interesting. There it's kind of like 7-Eleven like versus the Quickie Mart versus the Well, resort. yes. If you're asking, <laughs> is there a competitor to Sasa that people know, recognize, and go to, that would be Sephora. Okay. Um, and that is big as well. So it'd be interesting to see how Sephora sales are doing. No, that, that's, a, that's a fair question to ask them, how their sales are doing here. But keep in mind, Sasa is closing down their stores in Singapore because they haven't really be, found satisfactory results in their operations. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much... I'm sure they're also feeling the pinch. If, actually, I wouldn't know if Sephora is in Hong Kong, but if they were, I wouldn't be surprised if they were feeling the pinch. But fair to ask Sephora also, well, yeah. if, if, if your competitor is reeling, and I don't want to give them a chance to gloat, but... <laughs> Um, are they managing things better here in Singapore? They certainly, they, have a, they certainly have a different visual um, aspect to their store. They, they carry a lot of the, the very hip, very now brands. Mm-hmm. So they may also have a very different market. Yes, they could. Uh, but which, uh, which playbook works, I guess, in mm. the Singaporean context? I think this also highlights that, you, again, this whole thing, it, not cliche, but it's, it's, uh, it doesn't take a genius to say that you've got to know your market. And the Singapore market might just be... V- it just might, might be a misread on the part of Sasa as to what works in the Singaporean market. Well, I, I certainly have to admit, as a Singaporean consumer, I'm incredibly finicky. Oh, okay. And I'm not loyal to any brand. I am loyal to my budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, especially in these times when we've spent the last 11 months talking about a potential slowdown. Absolutely. There you go. Well, budgets are going to matter, right? Now, one of the things that we always talk about, JP, we always come back to it. We talk about the REITs performance. We talk about how Singaporeans, since we're on the subject of Singaporeans, we love our properties and we think it's a good investment. But is it still? Uh, well, the question now, I think right now the question is, are there too many units out there? Mm. And is there an oversupply? Um, as we know, this the government here has been doing their best to try and introduce cooling measures into the property market sure. to make sure things don't get too haywire and things stay affordable. But now, according to Bloomberg, this has resulted in about 39,000 residential units unsold. And there's more, apparently, in the pipeline to come. 
So this was actually voiced by the president of the Real Estate Developers Association of Singapore, uh, Chang Yang Hong, who said at a dinner last night that home builders are concerned about the fat pipeline and subdued demand because not a lot of people are are snapping up some of these uh, mm-hmm. some of these units. And they're actually saying they're hoping that they, the government will continue to watch the pulse of the market with the aim of maintaining a stable and sustainable market in line with these economic fundamentals. And it's looking very challenging, actually. Those 39,000 private housing units, that's, a, that's data that's unsold. That's data from the Urban Redevelopment Authority, actually. And about 34,000 of those unsold units coming from the government's land sales program and on-block sites also. And about 5,000 from sites still pending planning approval. So... It's getting challenging to actually move forward and say, hey, can you buy up some residential space at the moment? So residential, it looks like there there might be some some concerns there for property investors mm-hmm. in the residential space. I'm not sure if 39,000 is a lot or if it's a huge number. It seems that way to me. Um, but worth talking about to some of these property developers. 39,000 unsold units? Mm-hmm. That does seem a little bit big to yeah, me. Yeah, pretty much. So I wonder if this was also in accounting because, as we know, the Singaporean property market isn't just for Singaporeans. It's also it's a it's a global property market. Many many of folk come here from China, from the U.S., from all over Southeast Asia. In fact, snapping up all this here, property, yeah. and I think that's also why property prices, for the most part, until about maybe a year or two ago, were actually on the uptick for for. A, so a, how a are some of the like, property um, stocks doing today? Well, let's see. I think this is a day where let me just pull that up for you guys on the SGX. Um, this today is uh, not a good day to. It's not a great day to be in the market. I wouldn't say it's a. It's a. It's it's a. It's a gloomy day. But let's see how Capital Land do, is doing for one. They're down by about half a percent today. The trusts under Capital Land also not doing too well. Capital Land Mall, Capital Land Commercial down by one and a half percent so far today. Um, let's see how City Developments is doing. Down by about 0.1% in mm-hmm. today's session. And le- and good old good old UOL down by about 0.6%. I don't know if this is down to the news, though. I think this is just a no, matter of the property stocks pulling news. back because of this, uh, this slow and steady erosion we've talked about in the markets. Yeah, today. but, you know, since we're, we're digressing into property and uh, retail and commercial property, how's Maple Tree doing? Ah, okay. So which Maple... Oh, we're talking about Maple Tree Commercial? Or are we sure. talking about Maple Tree? Okay. Maple Tree Commercial is down by 1.3%. So um, for a while there, they, they took the crown of best performer in the STI year-to-date from Thai Beverage. Well, that's already reversed. Thai Beverage is in the green today. Yep. Maple Tree Commercial down by 1.3%. If you want to see how Maple Tree North Asia Tr- uh, Commercial Trust is doing, all that sensitivity to Hong Kong, 60% sure. of the revenues coming from that city. They're trading about 0.9% in the red today. It's just one cent off, but one cent is enough to see a decline, at least, for Maple Tree North Asia Commercial, now at a worth about $1.16. All right. So, you know, maybe a day that you want to take advantage with the time difference of the tail end of Cyber Monday sales in the U.S. Mm, possible. Rather yeah. than going in and trading. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this, uh, it's a different kind of market we should probably be hitting right now. But uh, yeah, this, this, I, I, think, I think my concern now is whether this will be a slow and steady erosion that will last for the week or till the end of the year. And, well, and we can certainly keep our eyes on that and, and make sure that we keep our listeners in the know. Yeah, with that, we can promise that for sure. All righty. It has been Market View on Money FM 89.3 with JP Ong. I'm Clarissa Montero. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.